and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone. It's Lori LeBay with Alzheimer Speaks, and I'm thrilled you can join us again today. We are going to be talking with one of the leading training and support platforms for caregivers today. And so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, but before I introduce you to our guest, I just want to let people know if you are in the Texas area in Amarillo, I will be down there November 10th doing the 17th annual caregiver conference for the area agency on aging. And you can register for that. It is a full day event at 806-331-2227. Also uh, feel free to join us for our memory cafe, which is virtual, which is sponsored by Arthur Senior Care, which is the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. It starts at one o'clock uh, central time. And we usually go for an hour and a half, two hours, depending on how many people show up. And also on the last Wednesday of the month at 10 a.m. to 1130 um, central time, we do a caregiver connect, which is out of the Shoreview Community Center. And you can call to register for that at 763-913. 6141. And last, I want to mention, of course, uh, check out alzheimerspeaks.com. There you can find all of our free educational resources. You can also access Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory, and our book, Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and introduce you to our guest. Well, Jonathan, I am so excited that you are taking this hour with us today. I know how busy your schedule is. So A, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. And um, two, I always like to have my guests introduce themselves. I think you, you know yourself better than I do. And so if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about yourself first before we dive into our questions. Sure. Thanks for having me, Lori. Uh, my name is Jonathan Davis. I'm the founder and CEO of Geralta. Uh, I'll tell you more about the company today, but we're an education and support platform for family caregivers. I started the business about five years ago um, after a career in, in management consulting and a bit in private equity and in healthcare education, which sort of inspired the idea of Geralta. So that was 2018. And I live in Ottawa, Ontario um, in Canada with my wife and daughter, um, but we have a team all over the US and Canada and we serve a lot of caregivers um, across both countries. And um, yeah, I'm very, very excited to be here today to share more about what we do supporting caregivers. Fantastic. Now, the first question I always ask everybody is, have you been personally touched in your own family or circle of friends by dementia? It's such a great way to start. I would say out of our whole team of about 40 people, I've probably been touched the least. Uh, and it's interesting how I came to start this business. I can give you more of the background. 
Um, but it never really made sense as to how families didn't have education and support when managing uh, a loved one and caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's and dementia at home. Um, and when I started the business, I got, we have about 40 people and almost everybody in some way has been a caregiver. And I watched my my parents care for their parents at a, when I was younger and at a distance. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a mission that has attracted so many very, very passionate people who who are almost all touched uh, by someone, you know, loved one or a circle of friends um, kind of experienced dementia that way. Well, I totally get that. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I wasn't touched. I kind of came into this uh, kicking and screaming. I was a very happy camper selling real estate, you know, residential real estate for 25 years. Never thought I would leave. But I uh, personally, I worked with um, the senior housing aspect. And back then there really wasn't even memory care. And my mom had dementia for 30 years. And so I started end up sharing some of my stories. And it was my colleagues in senior housing that said, hey, you need to go over here. You're not doom and gloom and give me your money. You are about teaching people how to live graciously every day with this. And so I thought, oh, what do I know? You know, I'm just a frustrated daughter. So I kind of dipped my toe in the water and and then one day woke up and said, okay, all bets down. And I took my life mm-hmm. savings and my retirement and said, I'm going to change the world bigger, little, but something, something's got to happen differently because people need help. So very okay. much like you, you know, yeah. well, what an interesting path and background to this, Lori. It's funny. I think I also, it's a bit of an alternative. You know, I was working for a private equity investor in New York City in Midtown Manhattan doing the finance thing. And realizing we invested in a lot of education, you know, certification, training for nurses and doctors and aides in the nursing homes that you're sort of talking about the real estate around. Why is that aide who's caring for someone in a memory care facility have access to training and resources, but families who who really need those resources most have no access? And that's what inspired Tralta. And when I moved back from New York to Canada in 2018, I thought, you know, the original idea, could we adapt some of this professional level training for an untrained audience, Mm -hmm. for a family caregiver who, you know, needs skills and needs confidence to care for mom or dad or partner, husband, wife, whoever it is, a neighbor and friend. um, Can we adapt that professional level training and making it accessible, easy to consume and help family members, uh, caregivers build skills improve their confidence and feel less alone. And that's really what, what Trulta is. Yeah. I love that idea for me. You know, I, I do some speaking and training myself. And one of the things I would always get frustrated from, and it's just the way healthcare has been built is, are you going to talk to the doctors? Are you going to talk to the nurses? Are you going to talk to direct care? And, and then they would have the families, you know, over here, no one was ever talking to the, to the actual yeah. patient, the person diagnosed And, you know, my philosophy is we can't make sustainable change if we're not inclusive. And I find it so much easier. And I don't know if you do this or have have thought of doing this, but training everybody at the same time on the same objectives, I mean, it gives them something to talk about that they that they both know about. It builds trust. And yet I found that like companies are like, oh, but what if one of my staff says something inappropriate? I'm like, you use it as a learning tool because it's not like whatever they said hasn't been thought and both sides know it's been a thought, you know, and both sides have those things. So let's, let's use those to leverage 
why people have the perceptions they have so that we can change them and get back to building teams. Uh, that's never made any sense to me. But yeah, no, it's a great point. Training everyone together is a great way to sort of align and understand. And, and you know, you're absolutely right. That caregiver has always been separate from the care teams. Mm-hmm. It is interesting because I feel a bit like we're starting to see the tide change a bit on that. I'm really optimistic about momentum behind support for family caregivers. And, uh, you know, five years ago, when we sort of started knocking on doors and saying, hey, we have a virtual intervention for families and we're building evidence, we were doing our research, we're showing outcomes. You know, it was a bit of a maybe social service. There's great organizations like the Alzheimer's Association. Why don't you call them? And that was the very sort of con. Those are fantastic organizations. But now, five years later, we're talking to Medicare and Medicaid health plans and health systems who are saying, no, it's no longer refer them to that not-for-profit organization. It's we have to support families if we want to improve outcomes for our patients and members. And yeah. I really, we're really seeing that over the past couple of years. And it's very, very exciting. And, you know, the work that you've been doing, you know, pounding the pavement, being the voice of caregivers is there's, there's momentum there. Yeah, I have seen the changes too. And some of them are getting the kind of taking the scary out of it. But I think, you know, it's nice to have, you know, the concrete evidence base. But I think also, people need that everyday kind of trial and error (laughs) type approach too, because especially with dementia, because that's what's needed, what works right now, it it can be evidence based or not may not work tomorrow. And, And we have to give I don't know, to me, I think we have to give families and we have to give businesses, their employees permission to be creative again. And I think under micromanagement, that kind of went away. And, yeah. and I think we had a big loss there in terms of, of really building relationships and truly understanding and, and have gotten a little bit, in my opinion, too task oriented. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's a great, that's an interesting perspective. Our, our How sort of our offering has evolved for families where we were very skills-based initially. And we realized that, hey, if you build skills, then the caregiver has confidence. And how is that confidence transferable? Mm-hmm. And and so they, they have the confidence to be creative with different, you know, tactics for managing a particular caregiving situation, for example. But I think even more where that where we've seen the biggest impact on some of our outcomes is when those caregivers have an opportunity to chat with one another. And so oh. not only do they do the skills and attend the class, but then we put them into support groups. And it's amazing set, sharing best practices, sharing what's not working and problems and maybe pearls of wisdom, but really from the, this is what what's going on with me. Unbelievable how much these caregivers walk away with when they have that opportunity for peer support. And so I think it, it's not about all the tasks and skills. It's kind of about r- wrapping the caregiver in, in a support system that allows them the confidence to be creative. Well, and it takes that fear factor of I'm alone away. Yeah. And I see that when I do my memory cafes. I mean, to me, that's one of the biggest honors is to facilitate those because of the intimate conversations that people have but there's also this empowerment that I see in those groups. Like I, I can have somebody come in and I'm sure you see this too, where eh, they're not really sure they want, you want to be there. And then by the time they walk out, if not the first session, by the second session, 
I could put them in front of a news anchor and they would do an interview where before they really weren't even, I don't even want to talk about dementia. What do I know? And through those groups, they realized, oh, you know what? There's a lot I don't know, but there's a lot I've learned mm -hmm. and I can help somebody else. And when people feel purposeful in being able to help someone else, it just, I don't know, it, it, it feels like we're getting to be a more well-oiled machine in terms of understanding what true support really looks like. And it's not always just talking at people. It's allowing them to talk with one another and grow together. Well said. Yeah, I totally agree. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Oh, gosh. Well, I, I'm so excited to learn, to learn more um, on this. What was... Was there like one thing that, that happened to you that said, I got to do this. I got I to step away from this, you know, magnificent job that I've got in downtown Manhattan. And, and I, need to, I need to step away and do something different. Was there a trigger point for you? You know, there was, I think for, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I was a little kid running around starting businesses. I was just kind of like, I, you know, I had that entrepreneurial spirit from a young age. Um, so I knew eventually I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I think it became so obvious to me as we learned more about um, healthcare education. So I was working on training and certification for healthcare professionals. And we were looking at both the demographics, as we all know, our kind of populations aging, uh, the policy environment is shifting towards aging in place, both that's the preference of the senior and that's honestly the only way that our system can manage cost mm -hmm. is, is home and community-based care. And so with those factors, it just was like such a light bulb to say, none of this, people don't have the opportunity to build skills and confidence at home. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to be in a facility to access a great methodology for how to diffuse a particular behavioral symptom when a, a, a person with dementia is sort of, you know, having a really hard time and you're having a hard time uh, communicating. And, and so it just didn't, so I had this light bulb, but Hey, we know all these great methodology, all this great content, all these ideas around um, peer support and, and all of it exists, but just didn't seem accessible to families. And I think what was so important to us about growing the business was, you know, the family caregiver is already overwhelmed. They're managing different work and family responsibilities, as you mentioned, employees, you know, they're employed, uh, they got kids of their own, maybe, maybe mom has Alzheimer's or dementia. And, and uh, the last thing we wanted to do was add stress or burden. And we certainly didn't want that caregiver to ever pay. Mm -hmm. 
we these resources need to be accessible. And so what was so important to us and why we did, I joke with everyone that all my gray hair comes from doing academic research because <laughs> it is brutal to do, you know, and, and we worked with phenomenal researchers. It just takes a long time and is very, very hard. And what we what I realized was you had to be able to demonstrate outcomes to get other people to pay so that the caregiver doesn't have to. And that was a, you know, I think uh, coming from the business and finance side, something I could bring was, hey, we need a business model here. We know that this population of family caregivers needs help. Dementia caregivers are 17 million plus plus, you know, what the latest count is. We know they need help, but unless we figure out a way to fund sustainable support, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have, we're not going to make good progress. And so, you know, we did early outcomes research to say, hey, health plan, uh, health provider, you need to invest in care in caregivers, because when you give caregivers support, your patients and members do better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, one of the things that still breaks my heart today is people get a diagnosis, you know, with dementia, and they're getting many different types of diagnoses. But with dementia or chronic illness, and they'll say, you know, we couldn't even drive home. We sat in the car and cried for two hours because they weren't connected to support services. And they just felt really on their own. And, and with dementia, that's still, we're still seeing that here in the States that they're lucky if they get the name of the Alzheimer's Association. And the Alzheimer's Association has great resources, but, it, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to what is out there in the world as well. And, um, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's just, we've got to do a better, a better job connecting people. You know, I actually found out about you from somebody in one of my support groups. They, they took one of your classes and, and they were telling the group and I'm like, I gotta, I, I'm not familiar with this. And they're like, oh, they're wonderful. And, and so that's why I reached out to you guys, you know, word of mouth, I still think is the absolute I love best that. way to connect. I love that. That's a great, I should have asked. I'm so happy. That's how you came across us. Cause you know, it means, you know, I'd say, I don't know what our, what our count we're in 32 States, thousands and thousands of caregivers have participated in either training or support groups. And to know that they're out there spreading the word is, is, you know, kind of really warms my heart. So thanks for letting me know. Yeah, no, it was, it was huge. And for me, I mean, I kind of think that I know a lot, you know, out there, but there's no way anybody can know it all because there's new things popping up all the time. But I was so grateful and they're they're very excited. My whole group is to hear this interview that I'm doing with you. So so that'll be fun to push out to them as well. Can you tell us like some of the topics that you cover? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, we I would say when we look at um our entire library, which is kind of always growing and changing, you know, there's about half of it that would be specific to a a particular, you know, condition diagnosis. You know, and and then about half of it that's sort of agnostic of the diagnosis or condition. What do caregivers need? And and so within that sort of like condition side, you know, we'll help families. Loved one has dementia. Here are behavioral symptoms that you can experience and how to manage them. So a really popular one is um, responding to repetition. So a loved one is asking you the same question over and over and and the caregiver, you know, it's hard to not be frustrated or, you know, it's it, and and so we have simulation exercises about how you go through that conversation and give we give the caregiver ideas to distract and divert and how they can answer without 
you know, being frustrated that they answered that question five minutes ago, the exact yeah. same question. And so we'll actually run you through a scenario where you have this practice conversation of repetition and how do you manage it? So that's an example of like a dementia symptom, kind of behavioral symptom management that we'll do. But we cover sort of heart health, COPD, depression, bipolar, strokes, you know, a lot of different conditions that our caregivers are managing at home. They can get content to understand the underlying condition and then respond. And it's important to us that it's actionable. So, you know, that caregiver can do something different after they've uh, done the content because um, they learn something that's actually useful to them. And the other, you know, a bunch of stuff in the library is just about building caregiver resilience and maybe having difficult conversations with siblings about who's going to cover the cost. Uh, family dynamic stuff comes up a lot, caregiver guilt and frustration. And so a lot of the content is just managing that type, caring for the caregiver and their own wellness. Um, and then a bunch of it also, like I said, is sort of diagnosis or, or illness specific. Well, I love that you that you cover both because I think that that is really important. I've always had this attitude: what's good for dementia is good for the rest of the world, you know, because it, it's just yeah. teaching you to be a better person and um, coping skills, changing perceptions. I think is is so important. Um, you know, caregiving itself has so many stigmas that go with it, and then you add in all the stigmas of whatever disease that you're dealing with. You know, uh, for me one of the the things that I've worked with in like, I don't even like the word caregiver. I try not to use it unless I'm using it educationally um, because I like to call people care partners or care companions because I want to get them back in relationship. And I think so often, and I'm sure you, you understand this clearly just from what you've said is, you know, we can't let disease strip our relationships. And when we get really task oriented, that's what it does. And all of a sudden, we don't feel like we can laugh anymore. We can't find any joy. We're just busy being busy. And we're forgetting how to really care for somebody. And uh, for me, I've come up with a phrase called car e-giver, which is caregiver pulled apart. And the car stands for conscious awakening of relationships. And the e-giver is getting people to, to remember what somebody really wants from you is your emotional giving. It's not so much the task, but it's, you know, how we make each other feel. And we've heard that forever, but we don't, we don't consciously know how to care. And so that's what I love about your company is you're helping people consciously learn how to care because not everyone is a natural caregiver or care partner at all. Um, you know, I grew up in the fifties and that was kind of, uh, you know, a little girl in the fifties, that's what you do. You take care of everybody, you know, yeah. and, and then I hit probably 45 or 50 and go, oh, no is an okay word. I don't have to care for absolutely everybody in the world. And I had to reframe and kind of find some boundaries and stuff. But, you know, those are all things that people struggle with. And we're not taught any of this stuff in school um, in terms of relationships and how to care yeah. for people and deal with the stressors that, that come with it. And no, that's uh, right. And I think it's it's really missed. Yeah, no, and we've had, I can't tell you the number of team brainstorms we've had to try to avoid the word caregiver because mm -hmm. we don't love it either. And it's often unclear. People say, is this a paid aid? Is this a family member? You know, it's not always, um, It's 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 been, yeah, hard to move away from, but, but we really want to. And I love the, you know, sort of rationale for moving away is really to to lean back into the partnership and the relationship. 
um, and, and away from, you know, it feeling task oriented or like a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the, the type of wellness content, like broadly summarize it as wellness. So maybe not as much about the condition, but more about the caregiver's well-being is really the sticky stuff when we look at our platform. You know, yeah, yeah, you want to learn about brain health because you want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you want to you want to learn about how, you know, when you're what you expect as dementia progresses. That's a big, you know, but when it comes to actually finding support in others and uh building that those skills around managing caregiver guilt or resiliency or whatever it is, that that's the stuff that we know really really resonates with our users. Yeah, I call it emotional based training, getting people to laugh and cry, because I go back to thinking, you know, kids, little kids got parents to wear seatbelts and stop smoking. And it wasn't because of all the statistics that we were given. We all knew what was good for us or not. It was that little kid, that little grandchild or our child tugging on us going, I want you around. I want you to be safe. You know, this is something they learned. So all of a sudden, okay, I'll click up, you know, or I'll stop smoking or do whatever. And I, I really think, you know, to me, that's what education needs because, um, and I'll never forget this. I was out speaking one time um, and a bunch of us speakers got together. And, and after one of our conferences, we were, we were all on a panel and one provider, it was a, it was a home care provider. He was saying, you know, my staff know the mission and da, 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 da. And you can call up any single one of them <clears throat> and they'll be able to repeat it for you. So of course, after a couple of drinks, we all got together and we started calling. Nobody knew the mission statement in multiple places. And we just had to chuckle. And it's like, because they remembered it to pass the test, not to do the job. And there's a real big difference in the delivery style. And again, I can tell that you totally understand, like you said, what sticks with people in a why knowing the why behind what sticks is so critically important. And, and families are, I mean, they are just dying for this information out there. They are struggling. And to hear that, you know, they don't have to pay for it is massively huge. Um, you know, it's going to keep our families healthier. It's going to, there, there's so many benefits to this um, and what you're doing. I mean, just kudos, kudos to you. Um, what kind of feedback are you getting from, from family members? Oh man, we get a lot of feedback. You know, we're lucky because we have enough data now that, you know, sometimes what we find with caregivers and our users, and we have a team of care ambassadors who are like super vocal kind of focus group where we can bounce the new ideas off them and show them some screenshots. And so we have that focus group, but we just have enough data that we can say, hey, in this particular state, there's 2000 caregivers using the platform. Let's test something there and see how it lands. Because I think sometimes, one, the caregiver doesn't identify that they're a caregiver. So the, even that is a is the biggest. And then beyond that, the use, the, you don't know what you don't know. So they're not exactly sure what they need. And so you can ask them, but also we're able to do sort of some deeper kind of analysis to say, hey, when we push an email and... Uh, we test um, a particular topic in that language and we don't use the word caregiver, but instead we just, you know, talk about, um, oh, uh, uh, we talk about a particular piece of content that we know resonates. And we look and we say, wow, there's so many opens on this particular email. Why? And we can really dig in without having to ask directly, what do you need? 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of folks asking people what they need. There's a lot of great survey data. Caregivers need help. But I think often it's a lot of echoes of the same thing that we already know. Caregivers need these community supports that they talked about. They need to not feel so alone. They need training. Um, and so, yeah, we're able to just really dig in uh, to the data to understand exactly what caregivers need. Um, and so, we're yeah, so we, so feedback, you know, caregivers really enjoy um podcast formats, for example. So audio formats, sometimes they don't want to stare at the screen and read videos, but we also make sure all our content's printable because there's a lot of caregivers who are maybe rural or, or, you know, less likely to spend a lot of time on the computer. So they want it all printable. We have feedback around languages. We did a full translation to Spanish as well. Um, and not just like AI translating through Google translate. Uh, we have a whole group now of Spanish speaking SMEs they're subject matter experts who translate it with a culturally relevant, uh, you know, lens. So they're trying oh, I love to, that. Speak, to speak to that kind of Latinx community of caregivers. Um, and so, and we get a lot of feedback that really represents how diverse caregivers are. And we're pretty obsessed with health equity. And so across the board, we're looking at, hey, how do we help both rural and urban, maybe lower bandwidth caregivers that that can't get the full experience or you know, LGBTQ caregiving. We partnered with Sage to bring in real experts. And I don't know if you know Sage, but wonderful advocacy organization um, for LGBTQ um, seniors. And they worked on us on the content with us. So, you know, we get a lot of feedback about the diverse needs. And then we try to respond in, you know, a really authentic way where we're deeply learning from all this feedback to make the, the platform better. I love that. I, um, you know, I always tell people, you know, if you don't share what you need, you're never going to get the services that you want. And so, but again, we have to make a, a comfortable environment for them to be able to tell us and to approach it in different ways. When I started um, Alzheimer's Speaks, one of the things that I wanted to do was to be all-inclusive of all um, ages and stages of life and people all around the world. Because again, I don't think we can make sustainable change if we're not inclusive. And I wanted to leverage multimedia because we all know everybody learns different (laughs) and they take stuff in. So I'm so glad to hear that about your, your organization, because again, I I see so many other organizations that are really funnel oriented. It's like, this is our delivery style and we're sticking to it and we're not expanding. And I, you know, I see and I hear the frustrations out there from the everyday person going, I I need it a little bit different in order for it to click for me um, and stick with me. And, um, and and again, that you're doing these support groups on top of it are, are absolutely wonderful. One of the things, and I'm just going to ask you, because I, I have this kind of in play, but I haven't done a lot with it. But one of the things that I've noticed a need in is, and I call it conscious caring support programming, where, where we really talk about emotions. And because I hear that over and over again, how uncomfortable people are with the emotions of care. And they're embarrassed and ashamed when they get mad or angry or frustrated. And yet all those emotions are normal. And yet they don't really want to go to a shrink because that's too formal. They just kind of want to be able to chat with other people. So I, I kind of put a program together for that. Do you guys have anything like that? Because I do think it's a need, not just for families, but I think for professionals as well, 
to be able to process and give them safe space so that they can kind of dump it and pick back up and get re-energized. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's funny timing. I think it's definitely a topic we go into. Our care educators are really, um, really deep experts in this area. And I believe actually Friday we have live class on the emotional wheel. Oh, cool. And, you know, and uh, it's it's definitely not my area of expertise, but our team is really, really deep. And we notice that when we put out, you know, the really name the emotion type content and, and live classes, um, we get a huge reaction from caregivers, hundreds signing up for these live classes. The emotional wheel one, I think, is extremely popular um, really, really resonates. And I do, I agree. I think employers and employees who are managing or trying to just build empathy around caregiving their organization, it's so important that they have those skills. Oh, exactly. Well, for anyone who is just tuning in right now, we are talking with Jonathan Davis, who is the CEO and founder of Terrelta, who uh, has developed this amazing online training for professionals and families alike and wonderful support groups. So you might want to kind of rewind and catch things from the beginning because we've covered an awful lot. Uh, One of the things that I love is that, you know, their services for family is free and you can go to their website, which is T-R-U-A-L-T-A.com. They're also on Twitter Facebook and Instagram. And again, don't keep this information to yourself, share it with others, because it's so important. You have people in your own sphere that need this information that you might not even know are struggling with with caring. And maybe it's not for dementia, maybe it's for MS, maybe it's for um, autism, it could be 10 million different things, it doesn't make any difference. Caring is caring, and there's overlap with all of that. And their courses are disease-specific, but they're also overall relative uh, to just different perceptions and skill levels that you can have to be a better uh, care partner for someone as well. Jonathan, I wanted to, you know, talk with you and learn a little bit about, you know, we talked about being inclusive and, you know, you've given us a lot of great information about, you know, translating your information into Spanish and having um, written backup if someone doesn't want just audio or video. Um, what other ways are you looking at being inclusive? You, you also mentioned, um, you know, the SAGE program and just dealing with different diverse groups because every culture is, you know, has a little twist to the tale of this. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting when you realize, you know, you can't just straight translate because there's so many cultural differences, um, you know, as you go from different communities. I mean, we think about inclusive in a lot of ways. We, you know, we partner with a lot of say Medicaid health plans and state government and others that, you know, at the very least we're ADA compliant. We are accessible for, you know, hearing and visually impaired. That's very, very important. I think um, next language, as I said, being a full, having a full Spanish portal that is kind of culturally contextualized for caregiving, really, really important. Um, 
we have really tight like diversity and inclusion guidelines. So photos that are used in the platform, different examples, you know, they they cover a range of different individuals, different socioeconomic kind of contexts. Um, we're we're really, really conscious of making sure that different races and ethnicities are represented in the portal to make sure that, you know, really does uh is a welcoming environment um for for all caregivers. And then yeah, when it gets into subject matter expertise. We're not going to pretend we have it in house when we know that Sage knows that LGBTQ community so well. Let's bring him in. Um, we actually did in Minnesota. We did tribal content. We wanted to get some of the the um, American tribes into the portal and starting to use caregiver resources. And so we we hired a ton of SMEs from the tribes to help us build caregiving into their kind of in in a tribal context. And we hired. Um, artists, uh, uh, voiceover artists, like just a range of different experts to make sure that it was approachable and inclusive for that group as well. So, you know, it's it's a pretty uh, big obsession of ours to make sure that we're really, really inclusive. I love that. So often I hear people, oh, you know, we're they're targeting, they're trying to pull this particular group in. And then I look at their advertising and I'm like, there's nothing there that says we belong here <laughs> at, at all. And I, it just, it makes me just shake my head and go, oh, you know, kind of like the word, you know, even caregiver. I remember, and this was ages ago, it was our, our hospital systems and AARP, and they were um, uh, previewing some video and stuff in, in different businesses out there. And I remember standing up and saying, you know, I really wish people would stop using this word caregiver. And, and um, the host said, well, why is that? And I said, because caregiver says, we're giving it all away and we're not getting anything back. And then we wonder why people feel burdened and left out and alone. And so then I mentioned those two words and it was so interesting <laughs> because the whole panel went, well, no wonder nobody responded. Like you were saying, <laughs> people don't identify with that word, but totally. none of us have been able to come up. It's kind of like, no one likes the word senior and I'm there, I'm 64, but you know, no one's come up with a good word. So how do you, how do you phrase what it is you're doing? And, um, and I think sometimes it's not always having to have the perfect word, but to educate around what exists and, and give it a definition that people are comfortable with and, um, and stuff. So it's, because uh, that's one of the things that, and I don't know if, if you talk about this in your education, but for example, with dementia, the diagnosis is constantly changing. Yeah. People say every two to three years, it's like, well, I was this, now they say I'm that, now I'm over here. Now I got two of them. You know, and I don't just have one. And it gets really confusing and, and it gets really frustrating you know, for the patient as well, because they're not seeing necessarily the changes in the symptoms, yeah. but the coding has changed. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly we see that with, and and I think that that's a lot of caregivers asking us, what should I expect next mm -hmm. as the diagnosis changes? And so one thing we found has been really helpful um, is content, you know, we say content, education, training, that we have sort of packaged into a care story. Mm -hmm. This is Lori's story. And this is how the diagnosis evolved. And this is how she responded. And so what we found is when caregivers are looking for a bit of a map, like, what do I expect? And when we take that content, we really tell it in a way that is, you know, uh, 
a care story that they can relate to, to help them both, you know, understand the skills, but also feel less alone is, has been a way that we've really been able to chart that path for caregivers. Well, and I like that you're using that storytelling because I think it's a very, it's a very comfortable approach for people and they feel like it's in the trenches, it's real um, versus everything kind of being clinical. I think a lot of people too, don't even know that the diagnosis could change when you get cancer. It's like, okay, you're going to have this. And our goal is to get it in remission, (laughs) you know, instead of, and you know, that there's a possibility that it could, it could, you know, go off and another type of cancer could start. But, you know, with dementia and so many others, people don't even know that that's a possibility. It's, it, it isn't discussed. It isn't talked about. And I think some of it has to do, I'm sure with they're learning more about the disease as they go further. Our doctors are getting hopefully more educated over time with this. So as they switch doctors, they have different perceptions of, of what is going on. Or, you know, like with my mom, upon autopsy, upon her death, um, you know, we were always told it was Alzheimer's. Here she had Alzheimer's, Lewy body, and Parkinson's. And that made a whole lot of sense over the 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of that, but that wasn't something, uh, you know, that even me in this field, kind of knowing what I knew, anticipated at all. And I was like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> you yeah. know, so I, I love that you're doing the, the storytelling. What are some of the needs that you think are really overlooked, you know, with families? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, if we start at the very sort of even being able to self-identify as caregivers. It's very, very hard to meet any needs for anybody when you don't actually like recognize that you're in the population here. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm just being a good son or a good daughter. Mm-hmm. And you're you're somehow trying to push caregiving resources to them. And like, they don't see themselves in that role. There's sort of like a, a bit of a discrepancy there. And so I think not identifying as caregivers is the first thing we have to help sort of educate. And maybe it's a different word. Maybe it's care partner, care companion. There's a lot of words for it. But I think, you know, understanding that uh, the role and then all of the sort of stress and other emotions that can come along with it, you know, we got to get folks to raise their hand yeah. uh, and share that they need help. And then, you know, it's it's a hidden rule. It's not obvious to others. So people sort of hide it or have guilt associated with it or have guilt associated with asking for help. Um, and so I think that that's what's going on sort of in in internally often for the caregivers that we work with. You know, if we can even get them to self-identify, then there's sort of a, a do I do I need help? And is it okay to need help? And then I think broadly, as we alluded to at the beginning of the conversation, they're not being acknowledged as part of the care team by their provider, for example, or their health system. And so then, you know, that the, their needs, you know, obviously are not getting met because they're not sort of in the conversation to the extent that I think we'd like them to be. And again, I mentioned that's changing and there's really exciting things that are changing. Mm-hmm. Even um, I don't know if you heard about this, Lori, but this one's particularly interesting in the uh, Medicare physician fee schedule. There is a billing code now for caregiver training and assume. Yay. Listen, assuming that it, it's in the final, it was in the preliminary and the final one should be out within days or weeks. And so if providers can figure it out, they can actually provide caregiver training at discharge to a caregiver and the member doesn't have to be there and they can bill for it because it's so important. And oh, so that are starting wonderful. to change. And I'm hoping that all the many unmet needs that we're talking about 
you know, the, the, the tide is, is changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's good. You know, you had mentioned the um, association with uh, asking for help. I think that's huge. And, you know, using a different word from caregiver, if it's care partner, care companion. And then I was thinking, maybe we just don't even use individual names. Maybe we're just part of a care team because that kind of takes that scary edge off or, well, no, I, I'm not, I'm not a caregiver because mom or dad's they're the primary. So I'm just like a little helper be a little elf in the background that'll come in and bop in, but I don't really want to be part of that role, <laughs> that role. And, you know, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a group type thing where we don't have to identify as an individual, maybe that would be less scary for people and more Mm open-ended. And and then also be able to show that it doesn't have to be just a family. It could be a friend, it could be a coworker, it could be a doctor. It really opens up to what we're seeing on a lot of the the apps with who do you want on your care team, you know, to be um, included in what level of the care team are you part of? I don't know. Yeah. It, it would be interesting to um, almost do a survey on that one on how, how families would view that, um, yeah. you know, as a whole. And then the, uh, the Medicare training, that sounds really fantastic. I just hope that there is, that the people that step in understand like you do what the real needs are and don't just do old school stuff because old school stuff's not gonna, in my opinion, isn't going to help push us um, further ahead. And, and I think it could kind of give a black eye to it. If, if, if families don't feel like they're really being understood that they're being talked at instead of talked with, and I think there, there's a big difference in how somebody learns just between those two different styles. Yeah. Things there. So, oh gosh, this is, I could talk with you all day long. How do people sign up um, for your program and learn more? Uh, yeah. So right now we're available in 32 states. And what we really encourage caregivers to do is check with their health plan, healthcare provider, or their local area agency on aging, state unit on aging, community-based organization, if they offer Tralta in your area. If you do go online to Tralta.com, T-R-U-A-L-T-A.com, uh, and, and let us know where you are, we'll do our very best to find you a portal um, in your area. Because again, the caregiver doesn't pay. There's no model to sign up and pay monthly. It's all through either a state or local agency, a health plan or a healthcare provider. And, you know, we're working very, very hard to end up in all the states. Oh my gosh. That is just so wonderful. When I stepped into this, that was kind of my goal was to create content and for it to be free and that there would be like sponsors that would come up. And what I found was, nope, everyone was like, yeah, that's a good idea. We think we'll do that ourselves. But it takes someone with with a, a special eye to really develop the big picture need. And like, like you're not going away, you're sticking with this. Where what I found was a lot of times people would maybe copy what I'm doing or someone else is doing, but then the staff turns over and then it goes away. And then it's just, it's just gone. And so I love the way that you have kind of weaved this in to, you know, work in a business model, but being an everyday home as well as, as the, the businesses that need the training as well. 
Um, do you want to talk real briefly um, as far as how you work with uh, with businesses and their professional training? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we tend to work mostly, it, it sounded like you had some experience working with AAAs and CBOs. You're at a mm -hmm. conference or something I heard on one of your episodes. Oh yeah. I do a lot of conferences and things. A lot of yeah. That. Uh, yeah. A lot of those. So we partner with those agencies, we partner with health plans and we partner with healthcare providers. I think um, we do have some resources out there for employers and employed caregivers. Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely an area where we think there's continued interest in, you know, employers understanding that employed caregivers um, uh, is a, a significant problem for the workforce. You know, there's a lot of folks out there caring for loved ones and, and whether that means they miss work or retire early or whatever it is, the workplace impacts are quite substantial. And so we anticipate more of that in the future. I think um, we also work with uh, self-direction programs. So family caregivers that are paid through different programs. It can be Medicaid waivers. It can be VA programs. Um, those caregivers that are paid to care for their loved one um, have access to our training, sort of uh, the entire kind of library, which has been a really, really important user group who have, um, you know, really demonstrated when when you are caregiving full time and it's not it's not kind of the moonlighting after work. Mm -hmm. um, folks get really, really deep in building skills and confidence. And it's more important than ever that, that they feel less alone. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Well, anything that we haven't covered that we need to cover at all, Jonathan? You know, it was a great conversation. And thanks again, Lori. Um, yeah, the, the caregivers out there that, you know, please uh, seek out a local portal. You can go to our website and contact your local area agency, contact your health plan and say, why aren't you providing me with caregiver support? Um, let Next time you're at your healthcare provider, especially if it's sort of a dementia focused memory clinic or, you know, that type of thing. It's really important that caregivers are raising their hand and saying, Hey, we need help. We need support. We're going to leave and we're going to have to provide care for our loved one and, and, and anything that, that we can do to continue to kind of move the momentum forward. Um, then, and, you know, to all the caregivers out there, definitely check out our website. We'll do our very best to get you access. Um, as we, we're here for you. So thanks again for having me. Well, and I love that. I mean, when some of my support groups, you know, they like, and I won't mention the, the specific clinic, but there was one group that was doing a great job, absolutely fantastic job. And they built this ecosystem for, for families dealing with dementia. Well, then, you know, with staff kind of on the decline, management changing over, uh, new grant coming into play. Now they said, well, that will just be for new people. And they're like, ah, what about us? You were helping us survive. And so for those clinics and stuff, you know, you can't always do everything yourself. So partner with you guys, you know, you've, yeah. you've got this wheel going. And I think that's one of the things that drives me nuts is we need more collaboration out there to really serve and do it well. Um, it, that's my belief. Instead of everybody trying to recreate the wheel or doing what doing what Johnny's doing over there, what Sue's doing over there, because it's working for them. Yeah, it is. But if you don't have the staff and the knowledge base and the and the money behind it and the time and the energy, it's totally. not going to fly. And now you've wasted everybody's time and resources when it could be done much better over here and you're still tied into it, you'll still get credit for making that connection. And, you know, it just, um, 
and, and yeah. it's easier for people versus all these multiple different things that they're testing out, you know, out there. And for people, I mean, so many people, I mean, I didn't know that something like this could even be free because that's one of the things that I hear people struggle with all the time is like, I can't pay $20 here and $25 here. And I, I can't go to a conference. I, I you you shouldn't know. have to, you know, they shouldn't have to. They're already doing so much work to care for their loved one. They're such an important member of the care team. Yep. And you know, we didn't touch on this, but sort of you, you'd mentioned it with staff shortages. We find that families are expected to do more than ever because often there isn't a home health aid or you qualify for X number of hours, but only half of them can be staffed. And so families sort of end up doing all the work when there is a workforce shortage. And so it's another important consideration right now for, for providers and, and, and that um, families need more support than ever really in this, in this kind of current home health worker situation. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I would love to invite you to join dementia map and get on our, get on our directory there. Um, we've got a global directory that Dave Wiedrich and I have built out over COVID and it would be a wonderful addition uh, to have you guys. We'd love uh, to. We'd love to. Thank you. Part of that. Um, you know, for our listeners, you know, please like, click and share this episode. Again, you know, I'm, I, I don't chase the numbers. I'm not a not a Google girl. That's not, that's not what I'm about. I'm about connecting people to services, products, and tools and making their life easier. And you know, just as well as I do, is there are people in your sphere of influence that need this information and just aren't comfortable asking for it or not even knowing what to ask for. So make it easy for them. Make it easy for yourself and, and others around you. And it might even be your siblings like, hey, you could do this too. I'm doing this, but I'm not mentioning it anymore. I'll just put it out on social media. Um, it's critical to be a giver of hope. We all have that power of one. You know, it doesn't cost you any money. and takes very little time to share something on social media. So, you know, join us with the cause in, in trying to make life easier for families out there. Jonathan, thank you so much for creating this company and, and um, the work that you are doing to change lives and families and professionals as well is, is absolutely amazing. And I look forward to watching you in the future, what, what all you do. Again, people can go to the website, terelta.com, T-R-U-A-L-T-A.com. They're on Twitter or X. I still can't get used to calling it X. Uh, they're on Facebook and Instagram as well. And again, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much, Lori. Finally, I want to just uh, extend an invitation to you all to visit alzheimerspeaks.com. Check out our free educational resources. There's everything from learning about memory cafes, dementia in the arts, dementia chats, where people living with dementia are our experts on our panel uh, to becoming a dementia-friendly community and so much more. You can also access Dementia Map from there. And, um, and then of course we have our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care, which is a children's book, but it can be used for all ages. It can be read as an individual in a support group. Um, on a one-on-one, -on -one, we've had everywhere, everywhere from parents and grandparents and librarians and counselors um, purchasing this for young kids, but the young kids are really teaching us adults how to care as well. 
Um, the story works good, not just for dementia, but all of life and gets us to look at how we want to be cared for, how we care for others. And um, it's just a very disarming, cute little story. So thanks, everyone. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.